Good evening. Please be seated. Let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, currently in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. If you're with us tonight and you didn't bring a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave and get their attention, and they'll get a Bible into your hands. And that way you can read along even as you're listening and It's always important, but I mean really important in some sections of the Scripture, and especially uh, the book of Proverbs. We pick things up in chapter 10, verse 19, and here is instruction related to our speech, uh, what comes out of our mouths, and that, of course, is very, very uh, valuable. So he says in verse 19, Solomon writes by the Spirit of God, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. This is a very, very good proverb. And um, I don't know why, when I was a brand new Christian, the Lord really lit this one up for me, and, uh, and I ended up memorizing it. I tried not to be offended by it. Um, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But what it says And it's important to those of us who talk a lot, and uh, some of us God has called to talk a lot. But what the proverb is saying is that if we talk long enough, we're going to end up sinning. Sometimes people say about uh, a sermon, they'll say, oh, the pastor missed four perfectly good conclusions and continued on through all of them. Sometimes we can leave a conversation. We can say, oh, I left four perfectly good places to end that conversation, but no, I had to keep on talking and keep on talking until I said something stupid, and now I've got to walk away regretting the entire conversation. So there is truth to the fact that if we do talk long enough, at least for most of us, we will end up sinning with our mouth. And the importance of restraining our lips, the one who restrains his lips, Solomon says, is wise. And the word restrain means to hold back. So it's important to learn not to say everything that comes into our minds, but to learn some restraint as it relates uh, to speech. So we have an old saying that silence is golden. It isn't always golden. Sometimes we need to speak, but sometimes it is Uh, It is golden. Sometimes silence is preferable to speaking. In verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is worth little. And so the mouth of the righteous, in other words, it makes people rich, rich with grace, rich in comfort, rich in perspective. Not all, you know, we live in a country where riches are almost completely Um, thought of in terms of money or portfolio or physical wealth. But um, that's not the best way and certainly not the only way to measure riches. There are people that when they speak, uh, they make people rich as a result of having uh, listened to them. And, of course, only the righteous are able to do that. The wicked have no ability to do that. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. And so the speech of the righteous person provides the idea is spiritual nourishment uh, to people. Uh, Maybe a New Testament equivalent of that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so... Uh, the righteous man, the righteous person uh, provides spiritual nourishment. You walk away um, in spiritually. You come into a conversation. You're hungry. You're distraught. Uh, whatever might be going on, you talk to somebody who is righteous, ministering the Word of God, talking about things in the light of the Word, and you walk away and you realize, wow, I've been built up spiritually. I've been fed spiritually. I've been edified spiritually. And so the lips of the righteous, uh, they feed many. Again, fools have uh, no capacity at all. Their conversations are not only useless to others, their conversations are 
uh, useless to themselves in terms of providing any kind of meaningful edification or nourishment or blessing to another person. Verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And so all of God's blessings that he gives us in, his, in our lives, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great list. That chapter has lists so many things that we have, spiritual blessings, the things that we have, the things that we are in Christ Jesus, these blessings that come from the Lord. Again, not all blessings in life are, um, are material blessings. So in that blessing, it talks about the fact in Ephesians chapter 1 that we're accepted in the beloved, that we are adopted, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, what kind of a dollar amount can you put on being indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Uh, what dollar amount? If God said, all right, coming into my family and into my kingdom isn't a matter of faith and a free gift. You've got to buy your way in. How much money would you be willing to raise to get out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light? Or we'd raise a, attempt to raise a lot of money or kill ourselves trying to raise that money. But it, it tells us that the things that make us truly rich in life are, are not always measured in money. In fact, rarely measured in, in, in that way. And so all of God's blessings in our lives, they're good for us, the, the Solomon is saying, and they're also safe for us. There's no sorrows that are associated with them. Again, you read Ephesians chapter 1, and every one of those blessings, they, they don't have a downside to them. I mean, you think about uh, the classic illustration that happens today is that people win the lottery, so they win $140 million or $400 million or whatever these things come up. I mean, I've I've done so many scratchers. I can't tell you how many things. I, I come from a long line of gamblers, and so I'm, a, I'm opposed to it. I don't spend a nickel on those things because it took food off the table when we were growing up. And I don't believe in chance, and so it's a game of chance. But you see these things and say, wow, who was it? And here's this guy in Hoboken, New Jersey. He wins $400 million and... Uh, you know, 18 months, three years later, his life is a train wreck. He wished he'd never won the money. And, uh, and there's a lot of things that can come our way in life, and there's a lot of sorrow that comes with it. Every single thing. Now, you think about, if, you, if there was no other reason than to believe that the God of the Bible is God, then just the basis that every single thing that He gives to us has no downside to it. It has no sorrow uh, to it, uh, the blessings that he brings into our lives. And then verse 23, to do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. That's sometimes hard to believe. I'm, I've never been like a, um, a committed to doing evil. I mean, I've made mistakes and I've done lots of stupid things. And I've even done evil things that are just wrong, you know. Well, I've got to be careful there because you say, oh, evil, that puts a category where they go right up in here. And then, ooh, this is what's in the evil category. What? So don't fill the blanks in for me. But, um, but, I, but that somebody would love that, that somebody would enjoy that. I don't know. It's just the way God made me. He's always given, I've always had a tender conscience toward him, even when I didn't know him and I wasn't walking with him. So sometimes it's hard for me to relate to truly evil people because that's just, even from Adam and Eve, that's not how I am. And, and so uh, but I watch enough of the world and I see enough that's going on to realize that there are people who love evil. Uh, evil is a sport to them. They love it as much as you love the Niners or the Raiders. Well, that's mixing evil and sports up in a way that we didn't intend to do. But how about those A's? I'm not down on Oakland. I've just never gotten over the fact that they, the Raiders went down south and came back up and we're all supposed to be loyal. But listen, that's my problem. But there are people, they love to do evil. 
and they do, and to do evil like a sport, uh, to do evil is like, uh, to do evil is like a sport to the fool. There's a, the, lots of people who love to practice evil, but the man of understanding has wisdom. The wise man gets pleasure not out of doing evil, but he gets pleasure out of conducting himself wisely. Verse 24, the fear of the wicked will come upon him. So the thing that the wicked man fears, now we look at this, you know, no fear, fear this, all these stickers that are on the things and all. No, the wicked live in fear. They live in fear. God knows that they live in fear. God speaks about the wicked and that they are like the ocean that is churning. They know nothing of peace. God makes sure that they don't know. They are fighting against their conscience. They are having to sear their conscience. They're having to fight against how God has made the entire universe. Every day they fight tooth and nail against creation. They fight against the conviction and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so there is uh, the wicked do fear and, uh, and, and, uh, and what they do fear is going to come upon them and what they do fear is judgment. And so the wicked, in other words, are not to be envied. They live a life of constant fear while the righteous, uh, it tells us, and the desire of the righteous will be granted that is, the righteous live in a confident expectation of coming blessing. So you got the wicked over here. They wake up every day, and am I going to get caught today? Is the hammer going to fall down on me today? Am I going to get arrested today? Is this going to happen to me today? Is that thing that I did over here with the books, is that going to catch up with me today? And the person that lives a righteous life, they, uh, they're able to just uh, begin the day and confident. Okay, Lord, look forward to the blessings that you have for me today. It was interesting. I, you know, I, when I was, first became a Christian, I listened to everything that Chuck Smith had ever said that got put on cassette tape. I mean, I had listened, not only listened to everything I could get my hands on, but I had listened to his 5,000 series multiple times, uh, 7,000 series multiple times in attempting to learn the Bible and understand the Bible. I thought I kind of knew everything about him, but within the last two or three years or so, maybe four years, um, I remember somebody said something, or Chuck said it, that I didn't know about him before, and that is every single day he wakes up in the morning expecting God to bless him. <laughs> Another way to begin the day. It's right there consistent with the with the book of Proverbs right here in the verse. The desire of the righteous will be granted. We desire righteousness. We desire blessing, right blessing, and that's going to be uh, granted. And for some of us who wake up, you know, in the the morning and say, all right, what hammer is going to fall on me today? You know, and I, even though we're saved and all of this, it's kind of a good thing to think about, to wake up every day and just be uh, expect God to bless us. Verse 25, when the whirlwind passes by, and whirlwind, there are whirlwinds in life, uh, no doubt about it, twisters and, and difficult circumstance. Though after it passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. And so uh, it's comparable to what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Talked to man about the man who built his house upon the sand, and when the storm came, uh, the house collapsed, and great was the fall of it. The foolish man, and the foolish man represented the person that didn't obey his word, hear his word, and keep his word. And then he talked about the man who built his house upon the rock, symbolizing the Christian who hears the commandments of Jesus but then obeys them, that the storm came. It was a great storm. It pounded the house but the house withstood the storm. And so Jesus' parable there uh, speaking very much what is spoken of here in verse 25. The righteous has an everlasting foundation, and Jesus, of course, is that everlasting foundation. Verse 26. Here's, this is so graphic. I mean, get ready to pucker. Um, as vinegar to the teeth. Ooh. Yeah, any of you like gargle with vinegar or do anything with vinegar? Some people take vinegar for digestive reasons. They'll take a little swig of that and say, hey, Damien, why don't you try that? Yeah, let me try that, you know. 
I'm all whatever would work and I go, no, thank you. I'd rather have my pasta be a big ball in my stomach than to drink a little vinegar on that. Is vinegar to the teeth? I mean, it wasn't even in my mouth long enough to know what it would do to my teeth. And smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. So it's another a rebuke of laziness in a person where you send someone to deliver a message or to go to do something and they end up not doing it. That kind of a person is as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. In other words, they make you either want to spit or cry. We have a saying sometimes we say, that guy is worth worse than useless. And that's kind of what is being said here. They are just an aggravation and a frustration. The fear of the Lord, verse 27, prolongs days, for the, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So again, we're here now. We have a contrast between uh, the godly and the wicked. And verse 27, bringing up something that has been brought up regularly already, and that is the, there is longevity in general. Righteous people, people who do what is right, live a longer life than those who uh, live a wicked life, a life, uh, you know, a life of crime. There is a lot of, uh, it's a lot of occupational hazards related to that and uh, diseases and all kinds of things that happen related to living a life of wickedness that shorten the lifespan. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And so what is the hope of the righteous? For righteousness. And so when a righteous person wants righteousness, God is going to bless them with righteousness and, and blessing in their, their life. That's going to come their way. The hope of, uh, of the wicked, it, it will always ultimately perish because there's no future in wickedness. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. And so the way of the Lord provides us with safety and protection. And, and God's Word says that the wicked live outside of God's safety and God's protection. I don't know. Life is hard enough here without <laughs> in, sometimes inside of God's safety and His protection, without being on the outside of it. But that's where the wicked are. Verse 30, the righteous will never be removed uh, in other words, their life is solid and it's stable, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. So wickedness is an unstable life. It's an unstable foundation, and it doesn't have a future, uh, short-term or long-term. It always ends up uh, collapsing. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, and uh, but the perverse tongue will be cut out, and the idea is it will be judged and it will be silenced. And it happens. God is active in human history, and it happens. The talk and talk and talk and talk and all the lies and the blasphemies against God, but ultimately the tongue is silenced, whether in life by being humiliated um, by wickedness or just being beat up by life, uh, or ultimately it's silenced uh, by death. Verse 32 the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And so the idea is that you can always uh, count on a good man to say what is acceptable, and the wicked man uh, continually says what is inappropriate. And we get to chapter 11, verse 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. Wow, that's an abomination. That's not a good word for someone on the wrong side of that. So dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so God is saying here in this proverb that he hates dishonest weight, and in other words, he hates dishonesty in business. In those days, when you would go into a merchant um, to buy something, everything was done with scales. So they didn't just like scan it and put it through. They didn't have scanners. 3,000 years ago, crazy. How'd they make it? So they had these scales, 
And of course, if you're going to put radishes over here or you're going to put meat over here and you want to know how much, they would have this a pile of weights that would be marked and they'd put it on this side of the scale. And so, all right, they put it on until it levels and then measure, count up the weights and then that would be how much you were buying and they would charge you for it. But in the old days, what they would do is, and what God is rebuking here, is that they would have two different sets of weights, three different sets of weights. They would have a legitimate set of weights, and then they would have a heavier set of weights for when they were buying something, so they would give more. And a lighter set of weights when they were selling something. And so that's what God is talking about, being dishonest in business. They would also do the same thing with like uh, rulers or, you know, or, or cloth yardsticks or whatever. And they would make those things where they're gaining two inches every time. They just move like this and okay, sh- sh- out the door. And they've just taken, you know, uh, two feet off or, or foot off of your purchase. And so that's the kind of thing that would go on. Now, today we have these um, part of our government goes around and there's a a section of it that makes sure that they kind of randomly check in on gas stations and scales in the stores to make sure that these pumps are pumping an actual gallon, uh, that these scales at a pound really does represent a pound in order to keep that kind of thing um, as little as possible. And why does the government need to do that? Because people, there are a set of people that will violate uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, if they're given the opportunity And uh, so Jesus said in terms of how we should handle our business activities, our treatment of of one another, and, and and we call it the golden rule that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Now, for a while it looked like, when things were all crazy a few years ago, it looked like the way to make money was to be dishonest was just to rip people off and shaft them and all this kind of stuff and everything. But, every, you know, what goes around comes around. That's just the way that it happens. So that whole thing, and along with a lot of other corruption and a lot of other areas, it ends up collapsing and everything. And now we're back to honesty is the best policy. And it was always true. And so... Uh, the golden rule. The golden rule in, uh, in, in the secular realm is he who has the most gold rules. But Jesus has a different golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you in business and in life. And you're going to be uh, then doing something that the Lord can look at and delight in. We want him to enjoy uh, and bless our work and uh, our efforts. And he wants to be involved and he wants to bless so there shouldn't be any cutting corners or anything like that. Um, honesty, again, is the best policy. Verse 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Every time we have a sense of a superiority in some kind of a way over someone else or in some kind of a situation, pride, pride means to see myself above other people. Always, when we get a sense of that, Um, We're going to do one of the two things. We're either going to recognize it as pride and say, okay, this always ends up messy, or we're going to walk away and say, yeah, that's, that's I'm pretty much better than everybody else. And so that's a pretty fair assessment of me. And, And then we believe our own kind of hype and temptation on it. But anytime we're lifted up in pride, there is always a shaming that's coming. There's always a humbling and most often a deeply, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, hurtful kind of, of, of humbling that will occur. So when he says, when pride comes, then comes shame, the, the humbling or the humiliation is coming. But one of the marks of a wise person is to walk in humility and steer clear of all of that. Verse 3, the integrity, and really that means uh, honesty, the integrity or the honesty of the upright will guide them. In other words, put them on the right track in life. Honesty will do that. But the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So again, this is Solomon's way of saying that honesty is the best policy. It always has been and it still is. Verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, and that speaks of the day of death, but righteousness 
delivers from death. So um, people, some, we talk about the fact that money isn't everything. Uh, some people say, yeah, money isn't everything. It's the only thing. Oh, that's someone you send to Proverbs. They read this book ten times and come back and talk to me. And so, but money isn't everything. It cannot buy deliverance in the day of wrath or in the day of judgment. Only a faith in Jesus demonstrated by a, an obedience to him provides us with uh, 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 something, uh, deliverance on the day of judgment or at the time of death. Verse 5, the righteousness of the righteous will direct or guide his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. In other words, he will become a victim of it. So again, we've already mentioned the saying in our culture, what uh, goes around comes around. And so wicked, when people do, wicked people do wicked things, then other people are going to do wicked things to them and they end up becoming a victim of their own uh, wickedness. And so righteousness, a righteous life, it, it will guide us properly in life. But then in verse 6, the righteous of the upright will then deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. And so right living, obedience to God's word, righteousness not only guides us in life, but it also delivers us from only God knows what. I don't even want to think about what God's commandments and his wisdom have delivered me from in life. Oh, the things I could have potentially gotten involved in. I've known the Lord since 1980, so you do the math. That's a long time. That's decades. Oh, my goodness. What am I doing? Still up. It's way past my bedtime. But you think about it. I mean, what God's commandments have protected us from. Amazing. And we give them praise for that. Where would we be without God's word and his wisdom? Verse 7, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. And so when a wicked man dies, all of his hopes, all of his dreams, they're gone in an instant, the moment that he dies. And the hope of the, uh, and the, hope of the unjust perishes. So it's, it's gone. It, it, the moment they die, all of their hopes, all of their dreams are ended. The beautiful thing about the Christian or the righteous is that our greatest plans and our greatest blessings and hopes are just beginning when we die. For the unrighteous, for the wicked, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> oh, man. Life in this world. Listen, I like an ice cream cone. I get the blessings in life, all of that. But this is not heaven. And so for the unsaved person, the wicked person, this is as good as it gets. For us, this is as bad as it gets. However good or however bad life is for you at any given moment in time, we all have trials, we all have difficulties, all of these kind of things. But when we die, man, for us, everything is just beginning. And for the wicked, uh, not so much as I read the Bible. Verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. And so, again, righteous living steers us away from so much trouble. Verse 9, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. In other words, when he talks to his neighbor, Hi, Ralph, how you doing? You know, and then, and then they... Uh, um, uh, one thing to his face, nice, all of that kind of thing, and then they talk to the neighbor on the other side of the house. Boy, Ralph, is he crazy? Everything is and so we begin one thing to his face and then another thing behind his back. That's the hypocrisy and slandering him uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, so the hypocrite destroys his neighbor with his mouth. But through knowledge, that is the knowledge of the truth, the righteous will be uh, delivered. And so another uh, con commendation of, or condemnation rather, of gossip and of slander. Verse 10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. 
And when the wicked perish, there's jubilation. That is just the joy of being delivered from the dominion and the forces of, of wicked people in high places or low places within society. By the blessing, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth. That is the lies and the deception, the broken promises of the wicked. And so here we have the social value of righteousness. And it's funny, the culture that we live in, however unattractive uh, the culture, pop culture, fallen culture, tries to portray righteousness in terms of entertainment and music and movies as being square, as being uh, something that is restrictive, something that is uh, terrible, and that kind of thing. As, as much as they feel free to attack at righteousness on an individual level, even wicked people, even people who don't want to live righteously, don't want wickedness to prevail uh, on a societal level. And so they're very, very selective in this. Sometimes you look at it and you go, Man, I'm here. You got this pop star that's doing this thing over here, and they're doing and the crazy old thing that they're doing, and and everything, and then and 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 they're just uh, you know slaughtering anybody that even thinks uh, you know anybody that has any you know Tim Tebow or anybody like this or somebody that's trying to walk with the Lord or reputation for the Lord and and all of that, and then you get into some high level of government or something, and then somebody does something, and, you, and the whole nation is in an uproar over them, and they want the person's head and all, and you think, man, how, how come they can have it this way where they're, they are condoning the very activity that this senator engaged in over here all day long, and then yet when he engages in that, now they want to take his head off because they're not stupid. They, they understand that if unrighteousness begins to prevail and, and pervade all of society, then it's going to bring all of it down. And so this is a bit of what is being uh, spoken of here a little bit. And so the, we'll see in Proverbs chapter 14, righteousness exalts a, a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And people understand that. Doing the right thing, people being righteous, people being right people, that's how a nation prospers. You, you look at countries in the world, <clears throat> various parts of the world, where the corruption and the wickedness is so pervasive. Um, the, the, the corruption is in the highest levels of government. Uh, these, the places are dominated by drug lords or by uh, mafia or uh, whether it's Russian mafia or Italian mafia or Serbian mafia or wherever you want to talk about mafia. But organized crime has come in and taken something over. And you look and you realize that country is going to need to have a revolution to overthrow um, the, the wickedness that, there, that has begun to, that, that has taken over, over the country. And so there's the recognition that that's the way down, that righteousness is what exalts uh, a nation. And, of course, one of the things that he's saying here in verse 11, and it's worthy of speaking about in our current atmosphere of things is that the laws of any nation should reward righteousness and not reward evil. And that's one of the real bad trends that we're seeing in our country right now is our government. I was driving down, down the highway yesterday and I saw a guy and he had a bumper sticker on his window. And I'm, I'm driving this little four-cylinder putt-putt, this Yaris, you know, and it's just a go-kart, you know, with uh, a with a radio and um, so he's in a bigger car and he's going and and he's got a bumper sticker and all I can see the bottom section he's got it on his mirror and it says is not God and so I'm always curious and God talks so I'm, I'm trying weaving through traffic trying to catch up to him and see what the rest of it says very safely by the way and uh, but those little things they can zip in and out and everything of that but boy one mistake you're squashed like a bug but anyway um, so, but his bumper sticker said, government is not God. And uh, so I went by, gave, no, I didn't, I didn't do it, catch up. I couldn't catch up to him on, on things. But it's interesting for 
um, people to recognize. And, and here we have a government, our government, that is moving more and more toward the reward of evil, the reward of wickedness, the reward of perversion, um, unrighteousness. And then there is the uh, punishment or making it hard on the righteous to prosper and to be blessed in the country. Well, that is a very, that's, a, that's upside down. That is exactly the opposite direction that a nation should be going in. And, and yet we see it. And, um, and corruption and abuse of power like I've never seen before. It's so crazy because, okay, forget about it. Um, We'll move on to the next proverb. It's not going to help you. You can read about all that goofiness every day if you want to. Verse 12. He who is devoid of wisdom despises or belittles his neighbor. So again, here's a little bit of neighbor wisdom. But a man of understanding holds his peace. And so you remember, I remember my mom telling us that if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say something at all. So we, we just walked around as... Uh, deaf mutes uh, in, in life through our childhood. And uh, so, but that is a saying in the culture. If you can't say anything nice about someone, don't say anything at all. And it's especially true of a neighbor or a co-worker. The idea is those that we must interact with in life um, because of the closeness of proximity or profession or whatever, uh, whatever it might be, that it's best not to say uh, anything at all uh, about them than to despise them or to slander or belittle them. Otherwise, it just makes the whole environment, the whole neighborhood, or the whole workplace a poison. And so there's a place for a man of understanding who realizes, okay, I can say this, but it's not worth the price of what that will be paid to say this. And so they learn what needs to be said, and they learn certain things can uh, the, the, you, can, you can hold your peace related to it. I mean, what the Holy Spirit tells us to say, we need to say, but this is talking about, we don't need to make every observation about every situation and every person we know, uh, you know, in a, in a negative sense. There's a lot of things that life is a lot simpler if you just stay out of it and leave it to the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. So here's the importance of keeping uh, confidences. When people tell us something in confidence, that we are to keep uh, those uh, confidences. And so it's a uh, condemnation of betraying confidences or gossiping related to what we've heard or saying something that someone told us with the intent that we would never say it again. There are a lot of things in life that when we hear them, they should die with us. As a righteous person, they, they just should never move on to another person. And I think it's very, very important for us as Christians and very important for us as we serve the Lord because if you are a servant of the Lord in whatever capacity and you become known as a person who will not keep confidences or cannot keep confidences, your effectiveness is over. No one will talk with you, ultimately. No one will share with you. And if nobody is going to talk with you and share with you, then ultimately our effectiveness is completely uh, limited. And so anybody that wants to be effective in ministry has to be a good listener and has to take a lot of things that they've heard to the grave. People said these things in confidence. They are never to be repeated, not to anybody else. That was the condition with which that was shared. Um, I remember a, a church years ago that was almost completely destroyed on the, on the violation of this particular proverb where the pastor and his wife, anything that was told them in confidence soon became common knowledge within the church. And ultimately, nobody respects that kind of a person. And, um, and the thing was just, you know, ready to uh, completely collapse and, and fall apart. So loose lips uh, sink ships, but they also sink churches. And you have to be careful. Verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fail. And then I just love this section. It's a fa one of the favorites in the Proverbs for me. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
and the idea is godly counselors. So all of us have blind spots in our life where we look at a situation in life and we see it a certain way and um, we assess it in a certain way from our life experience, uh, from our maturity in our relationship with the Lord through our knowledge of the Word of God, these kind of things. And so we take a look at that situation, and, but we, we don't see it comprehensively. And, and so there's the necessity of the multitude of counselors where there's a major decision going to be made. It's going to affect a lot of people. And then to go to a handful or maybe even more, depending on um, the decision that's being made, and say, listen, can I bounce this off of you? Here's the situation that's going on. Here's what I understand uh, the Word of God to say about this, or this is how I see this situation. What am I missing here? What would you do? How do you see it? And it isn't that we don't seek the mind of the Lord related to what He says first and foremost, but God does use people to help us uh, to see something a little different way. So we go to someone and say, how do you see this situation? And then someone says something here. Well, I look at it this way, and it's the complete opposite of the way that you would have, you see it and you would have done it. And then yet you walk away from it and you realize, wow, that's the way I should have seen the situation. I almost drove off of a cliff in a Yaris. So, but that counsel from those two or three people or that one person spared me from that. And sometimes, you know, and this even happened to me recently in a situation, sometimes you can be in a trial that's just so big, it's so gigantic, you can't, you can't see the forest for the trees. I mean, it, all you can see is the tree that's just right in front of you. And, um, and you're able to go to somebody and say, listen, how, how do you see this thing? And they say, well, you see it, I see it this way and this and that. And then you, you pull back and you go, wow. They're not emotionally involved in this. They are not uh, worn out by this trial. They're seeing things with, from the outside with a greater clarity and real wisdom is spoken that way. I think that for us, I know in, in, a, in this church, always there is in our pastor's meetings, all, of course, we're always praying, Lord, what do you say about this? What does your word say about this? What do you want to speak to us by your Holy Spirit? But then to, for me to say to the other pastors and say, how do you see this? Uh, what do you think should happen here? And then this safety of people saying this and this and looking and this and that. And then ultimately, uh, kind of like the council in Jerusalem related to uh, what to do with, you know, the offering, uh, you, you know, circumcision and the, and the drinking of blood and this kind of thing and the sacrifices and all. Ultimately, James stands up. He speaks something and everybody goes, that's it. That's it right there. But we would have never come to it without the previous part of the conversation that leads to it. And so this can uh, spare us so much, you know, just to be kind of like a loner and nobody to talk to and, and not gleaning the wisdom from others. Uh, the Bible tells us, you know, that there, the multitude of counselors, there is safety and there really really is. Verse 15, he who is a surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. And so talking about co-signing again, we studied that at length in chapter 6. In verse 16, a right, a gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. And so this is saying that honor or good reputation is better than riches. And so you have ruthless men, they retain riches. They gain riches. They become fabulously wealthy. But the one thing that they uh, do not gain is honor because uh, you can't have honor without a good reputation. And so here's talking about the respect of righteous people. Uh, that kind of honor is more valuable than to have wealth and not be respected by righteous or good people. Verse 17, the merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. And so it's a way of saying that a man's disposition affects his own health. 
So a person that is merciful and he does good, that is not only good for the person he's being merciful to and good to, but that's how God created us to be. It is also good for the person. And then the person who is uh, cruel uh, to people, since that's not how God has created us to be, then that kind of person uh, bears the consequences. He does terrible harm to his own physical health because he's living in violation. So whatever our disposition is, whether it is and, and, and our attitude toward people and all, it affects not just the people we're dealing with, but it affects our own lives as well. The wicked man, verse 18, does deceptive work. And deceptive work here refers to work it doesn't have a future. There's the, the wicked man looks and says, this wicked action is going to translate into this kind of wealth and it's going to have this kind of an outcome. And uh, Solomon says, no, it, all of that's an illusion. And um, so, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Verse 19, uh, as righteousness leads to life, and the idea is that it does. So he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death, and uh, it, uh, it leads to that. To, uh, he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. All you have to do is go to any town in the entire world that publishes a newspaper, buy that newspaper for 50 cents or whatever they're charging for those now, and look at that and then read that newspaper, and every single day a new newspaper will come out in every city in the world, all testifying to the fact that he who pursues uh, evil does so to his own death, the consequences of, uh, of living a wicked life rewarded with death. Verse 20, those who are perverse uh, of a perverse or a false heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the, blame, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. And this is Solomon's way of saying that we need to be, it's an encouragement to be honest and to be straightforward. Don't be one thing outwardly. Hi, hey, good to see you again. So they, for the inside and the outside uh, to be, United, not to be one thing outwardly and another thing inwardly. Verse 21, though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. And so the wicked are going to reap what they sow. That's just a fact of the matter. That's just the way that it's going to be. And so Solomon is saying, believe that to his son here. Believe it. They're going to reap what they sow, so don't join them. And I think about talking about the fact that though the wicked join forces, they will not go unpunished. Of course, it makes me think of the Battle of Armageddon, these three great armies, all of them um, hating God. And they come into the valley of Megiddo in order to fight one another in battle. Jesus comes back at his second coming, and the only one that they hate more than one another is Jesus. And so they unite together in order to fight against Jesus. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. Not much of a battle. Jesus is on his way from heaven to the Mount of Olives, and he just goes there by way of Armageddon. And the Bible talks about something, a sword coming out of his mouth, speaking of his words. He speaks something in that situation. And by the time whatever it, he's, it is that he says has done its work, the Bible says that the blood of these unwicked men will flow in the valley of Megiddo, 165 miles long, this valley. It will, it will flow to a horse's bridle in terms of its depth. That's how high the bodies will be stacked. And so it's kind of the unbattle of Armageddon. But here they are. They join forces against God. And that's the problem with evil is it will fail because it is a war against God. It is a war against His creation. It is a war against His authority. And it's a war in His living room because this is His creation. And so 
Solomon is saying that the future is with the righteous, it's not with the wicked, and that's always a good reminder. And then verse uh, 22. Uh, this is a very, uh, it's kind of unforgettable, really. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Like a pig with a big gold ring through the mouth. Now, you remember, this is a Jew that's writing this. So a pig was like unclean, unclean. I mean, they just couldn't pick the lower animal. So you've got this thing that you're supposed to picture in your mind, a ring of gold in a swine's snout, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout. In other words, it's completely wasted. So is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. And so both uh, things are wasted because they're overwhelmed by ugliness. So if you saw a ring of gold in a pig's snout, women wore uh, nose rings in those days for ornamentation and um, in order to increase their attractiveness. But if you saw a beautiful gold nose ring in the nose of a pig, you'd immediately think, what a waste, such beauty wasted on a pig. And, and so you can't appreciate the beauty of the ring because it's all undone by the ugliness of the pig. And Solomon says, in the same way, a woman who is outwardly beautiful but lacks an inward beauty, godly morals and character, all of her outward beauty is undone by her lack of inward beauty. And so people get to know that kind of a person where there's this tremendous outward beauty but no discretion, no holiness, no goodness, no, it's just like this party thing and this, just this ugliness. Uh, they just walk away from a woman like that and a man uh, as well and think, what a waste that that all, such outward beauty isn't also coupled with inner beauty. All of that outward beauty is completely undone by the ugliness of her ungodly uh, character. So it's warning against uh, failing to couple inner beauty with uh, outer beauty. And isn't that uh, a needed warning to our age? Well, let's stop there tonight. I want to leave that image in your mind and um, something about that. We'll pick things up in verse 23 next time. And I'd like the worship team to come forward and just allow us couple of worship songs to close out our evening. And, um, you know, we've read a lot of, uh, of Proverbs here tonight. And some of them we look at and we say, oh, I wish I would have heard that six months earlier or two years earlier. Or, um, or sometimes you can read some of these Proverbs and go, ouch. The faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Lord really speaks wisdom to us. Sometimes that ouch makes us realize, okay, that, that hit home, and so you've got my attention. And so a lot of thing, wonderful things being affirmed, a lot of things that are unwise related to our lives being rebuked. Maybe there'd be one or two things in our lives especially, something to do with our speech or something to do with our treatment of people uh, that maybe needs a little bit of an adjustment tonight. And we want to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And if you're fine, you say, no, it didn't touch me tonight. Will you just worship the Lord and he'll convict you of something else? And, um, so we want to just, but in all seriousness, we want to begin the week now as we head into it on this Sunday night just to give him the praise and the worship that he's due uh, tonight and how good he is to us, how wise he is, and, and how good he's been to us to share his wisdom with us.